0: He approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Go ahead and have a seat, and let's pray. Lord, we as a body, we, as your people, uh, come to you uh, weary. We come to you uh, with weeks uh, that are busy with life where um, the threat to us is that the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of of riches and the concerns of this age are, are seeking to choke out our faith. And we are tired of battling. We are, we are tired of our sins. We are tired of um, uh, seeking comfort and joy in things other than you. We are tired of breaking your laws. And so we come to you today to be renewed by your Holy Spirit. That as we examine your truth, your promise to us is that the truth will set us free. And that you, your, your word says that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so Lord, let this be a time today where you uh, transform us and renew us and, and bring us to life and make us free as we approach your truth in your word. So Holy Spirit, work in us. Lift Jesus high and magnify his name in our hearts. Let us long for him and yearn for him and desire him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look out into the world, when you see the mass of people that is humanity, how do you see and who do you see as your people? Who do you look out and who do you feel so connected to, so bound to, so intricately woven into the life of that all of their pains become your pains and all of their joys become your joys? Who are those people to whose defense you'd rise, even if it cost you your livelihood or your home or even your life? Who are those of whom you say, there am I? "There am I." In our text today, we find one of Jesus's "There am I" moments. In Acts nine, we're, we're jumping into the middle of the story of Acts, right? We're already nine chapters in when we're jumping in. Um, we're mid-story. We've been introduced to this character named Saul, and he's, he's a character. He's a real person, historically. but he's, a, he's in the story. He's in this narrative. And, and Paul, or Saul, sorry, excuse me, Saul is in the midst of persecuting the church. Um, he has been torturing them to get them to blaspheme. He has been grabbing them and throwing them into prison, both men and women um, who have followed Christ. And he, he, is, he, is, um, he has even been involved in the execution of Christians. In the end of chapter 7, beginning of chapter 8, um, Paul is, is the witness. Paul is the, the man in charge. He is the head honcho who, who's holding everybody's cloaks as, as the Jews throw stones to kill Stephen, the first martyr recorded in the scriptures. Saul wants the church exterminated. And Saul is on the road... To, to bring this persecution, to bring this violence that he is perpetuating against the church of God. He is on the road to bring this to Damascus. And as he's on that road, this bright light shines. And uh, if you're a reader of the Bible, you will know that light is often a, a symbol of, of the arrival and presence of the Holy Spirit. So he's, he's the, the light. So it's Pentecost Sunday, so i got to throw that in there. Um, this light shines from heaven, and he hears a voice. And this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now Saul, he's, he's awestruck. He's forced to the ground. Sort of like when, when Jesus is in the garden, and the, the gang shows up and says, hey, we're looking for this dude named Jesus. And Jesus says, I am and, and that, that presence of, of the King of kings and the Lord of lords and, and his glory gets, gets shown forth in that statement, I am, and they all fall to the ground. Saul, similarly, when faced with Jesus and when addressed by the King of kings and Lord of lords, he is forced to the ground at the light's glorious appearing. And he says, who are you, Lord. And the light responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus makes his there I am declaration. He, he identifies himself with his church. Christ has just declared that the bodies of his covenant community, the bodies that Paul is beating, the bodies that Paul is throwing into prison, the bodies that, that Paul is condemning to death by stoning, their bodies, the, this, this flesh and blood that runs, that is them, right? That, that they are, their bodies are so knit, uh, tightly knit into the fabric of Christ's body. His mystical body, the church. Not his human body, which is seated at the right hand of God. But, but the, the church, these, these humans, these bodies are so knit together with Christ that Christ can say with 100% accuracy to Saul, to Saul of Tarsus, on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, I want to be clear again. Jesus' human body is not being stoned as Saul and and others are watching with approval. Jesus' Body, His human body is not the one that Paul has been throwing into prison and torturing to blaspheme the name of God. Yet, our Lord, in addressing this villain, could say with exacting precision, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. How could our Lord say this to Saul? How could it be true? How could this, how could this king of kings and lord of lords look at a human being? And say, that person is so close to me, so knit in with me, so directly in line with me, that that person is me. There has to be something going on spiritually that is more true than anything we can see with our eyes, or smell with our noses, or taste with our tongues, or hear with our ears, or touch with our skin. The reason Jesus said this to Saul is because Christ is united to his church. The only reason this text could be, the only reason Paul could say, or Saul could say, or Jesus could say this to Saul, excuse me, is because believers are united to Christ. They are united to him. And the rest of our time together, we are going to explore this union this union that so binds us, binds me, binds you, believer in Jesus, to Christ that his fate is now your fate. His righteousness is now your righteousness. His life is your life. His resurrection, your resurrection, and his kingdom, your kingdom. And to do that, we're going to ask four questions. Four questions about union. The, the first is, where is this union taught? The second is what am I to believe because of this doctrine? The third, how do I enter into this union? And the fourth is how am I to live because of this doctrine? So where is, where is union taught? The, the first three questions, they're going to fall under this broad category of gospel, of good news, of, of uh, truths that God has done on our behalf and realities that he has created for his people the, the last question, how am I to live because of this doctrine, is, should fall under the category of law, right? How should I live? How should my, my gratitude be extended for all that Christ has done in the gospel? How should that gratitude be extended out into the world? So uh, where is this union taught? The first question in talking about the gospel. Well, there are, there are several places all over the scripture. New Testament, Old Testament, it's everywhere. Union with Christ is a, is a core doctrine of the scriptures, but we're going to talk about three because that's all we have time for today. The first is uh, Colossians 1.18. The second is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. And the last one is going to be 1 Corinthians six twelve and following. Because these, these, these uh, scriptures in tandem, when we, when we read them together, they demonstrate this principle that we see in Acts chapter 9. That this principle that the bodies of his covenant community, the church, are so knit, so tightly knit into the fabric of Christ's body that Christ can say with 100% accuracy to Saul on the road to Damascus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? All of these deal with Christ as the body. So Colossians 118, uh, it says, And he, and the he it's referring to is Jesus, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So that the church is a body, right? That he is head of the body, the church, right? That's what's called in grammar apposition. So if I were to say my wife, Jessica, that means my wife is named Jessica. And when when the Bible says his body, the church, it's saying that his body is the church. That's, that's what apposition is. Um, welcome to grammar, right? Um, but grammar is important. That's why we go to school, so we can understand the Bible, among, among others. We also go to love our neighbor um, as well. So the church is the body, and Christ is in a special place of preeminence in his body, right? Because if you think about it, when you think about yourself, when, when, you, when you say, oh, I'm going to look at myself in the mirror, what do you look at? You look at yourself, and most of the times you're looking at your head, right? If you think about, like, where does, where does your voice come from, from your head? Where do your thoughts come from? They come from your head. Where does, where does your will come from? You think it comes from your head, right? No one says, oh, my will's in my knee, right, or uh, in my foot, or in my toes. And so there's, there's almost something about the head that we almost could even say, is us, right? Um, is us. And so that's, that's interesting that Christ would say that he's the head of his body, the church. Um, that he's the beginning of it. He, he inaugurated it. He created it. He is also the firstborn from the dead. And in everything, he deserves all the honor, all the praise, all the glory. He deserves to be preeminent. Now, if we tie this idea that, that Christ is head of this body, the church, with uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14, uh, you see this. It It reads, For just as the body is one and has many members, so members meaning things like toes and and feet and ankles and kidneys and uh, lungs and hearts, right? So you have one body, but it has all these members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, right? Your lung is not like independent of the body. It's your body. So it is with Christ. That's interesting. For in one spirit meaning the Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so what, what we see here is, is though uh, Jews or Greeks, right, though uh, there are people who, who uh, adopted the old covenant um, and, and were the people of God. And then the, there were the, the Gentiles, the people who, who didn't adopt an old covenant. There a, they developed different cultures, different practices. Um, they, they thought of themselves differently. And, and Paul is saying here that, you know, if you were a Jew or you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter. You were, those, those, those dividing walls have been broken down. And now you both, both groups, you find yourself one, right? In one body. It's not saying that you're no longer a Jew or no, that you're no longer Greek, but there, there's, there's a, a sense of like you still are those things, right? You're still a Jew. You're still a Greek. But now there's a unity in you, a unity among you, because now you live, you rest, you reside, you are in, in a certain way one. The, the same is true of slaves and free. So those are differences of class, Differences of, of economic power, differences of social standing, that, that you could be um, uh, a servant, a lowly servant, um, or you can be free. You could be somebody who could vote, who could um, rule, who could become Caesar, who could do all these things. You, it doesn't matter what camp you're in, what, how much power you have, or what, what class you come from, or, or how much money is in your bank account, you are now One. You're now one. It doesn't mean that you don't have those things anymore. It just means that you're now one. There's a, a newer reality, a, a reality that is above those realities that matters more. And, and that's something that's wrought by the Spirit, right? Because, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So you have this picture that all these different types of people, right? Of, uh, the Bible talks about of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Of, of different power levels of some have lots of money, some don't. Some are able to vote, some aren't. Some uh, are Jews, some are Greeks. Most are, are Greeks now because uh, there's more of us, right? There's just more of us. Um, it doesn't matter because we are all one, right? So there's many but one. There's a body called the church that is one church. It's one but consists of many members. And all the members of the body, though they are many, they, they, they're diverse in form, function. Uh, you have a hand, nose, mouth. Kidney, spleen. Spleen's not up here. These are your lungs. Um, though you have many members, you're still one body. And to, to go even further, let's, let's throw in this layer of 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and following, but especially verses 15 and 17. Uh, and this, this helps us see that what happens to one member of the body can be said to impact the whole body. The whole body. Uh, verse, uh, 1 Corinthians six fifteen. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ. That should sound familiar. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. So let's summarize here. Christ is the head of the body, his mystical body, not his human body, but the mystical body, the church, which is made up of many members, so it remains a single body. And what happens to a single member can be said uh, to, to be what happens to Christ. Which brings us right back to Saul, a man, a persecuting man, right? Uh, that's a sound of music joke that no, nobody got. But like a man, Saul, a man, a persecuting man, right? Um, yeah, good, I'm glad somebody laughed. Um, and Christ, so you're, we're back to Saul. And then we're also back to Christ, who looks out over his people, his persecuted people, the persecution of their physical bodies, right? Their flesh and their blood. And he's able to say, there am I that's me. Which brings us to our second question. So, so if, if Jesus is able to look at his church, his church, and say, there I am. There I am. I'm in them. They are me. I am them. I am my beloved, as the song of psalm would say, and she is mine. What does this doctrine mean for us? Like if this is true, if this is true that, that God uh, in Christ right, is so aligned with us, so in us, so, so uh, tightly knit together with us, that uh, he is able to say, Joe, when, when Joe is in pain, I feel pain because Joe is me. When, when Joe is full of joy, I am Joe because uh, I am so, so knitly intertwined with his being, with his essence, with who he is as a person. That, that Jesus can say, there I am. What does this doctrine mean for me? Which is our next question. It, it means many, 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 many things, but I can only talk about, what is that? One, two, three, four, six. Six, so six. All right, first is that God is near to us. Christ is near to us. Matthew eighteen twenty. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Matthew 28 and 20, 28, 20b. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in time of trouble. So no matter where you are, Christian, no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far away you feel from God, he is never far from you. He is is so intimately knitted into your life that he is always there with you constantly. And so we can turn to him. We can can, uh, share with him our struggles, our burdens, our joys, our life. He is always there with us. It also means that we have an advocate Right, So if, if you are a person, if, if, you, if you have someone who you are so uh, tightly knit together with that their joy is your joy and their pain is your pain and, and, and you would do anything for them, what do you think you would do when they're hurting? What do you think you would do when uh, they can't get out of bed in the morning? What do you think you would do when they are sick or locked in prison? What do you think you would do when, um, when, when they have nothing of their own any longer? It's all been lost in a fire or a storm or, or it's been stolen from them. You would advocate for them, wouldn't you? You would, you would stand up for them. You would seek to, to take care of them. You would go to the source of all power and might and majesty, and you would, you would try to fix it. What does 1 John 2 1 say about Jesus for us? It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have somebody who will fight for us, for everything. Romans 8.34 says, who is to condemn Christ? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who, is, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus. Jesus sees, and Jesus prays. And there's something else, right? There's, there's another sort of piece here that continues in Romans 8. Um, so, so even, you know, you, maybe, maybe you know Christ is near to you and you know, that, um, you know that he's on your side. But, but maybe, maybe there are sometimes some things that you can do to like make him mad at you. So he doesn't want to be so close. Maybe you think that there's something like, oh, maybe if I'm like not in, quote unquote, the will of God, that, um, that no, Jesus no longer is near to me. I can, I can mess it all up. I could, I could drive Jesus away. I could make it so Jesus doesn't want to be near to me anymore. Maybe he'll love me less. Romans eight thirty five through 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your union with Christ means that Christ will never abandon you. You will never be abandoned by your Lord and Savior, Jesus. There is nothing in all of creation that can snatch you from his hand. And and you may go through persecution. You may go through tribulation. You may go through famine and nakedness and danger and sword. But none of it ever will be able to, to take away the love of God from you. That's what union means for you. It it means that you are so identified with Christ. It would be like Christ chopping off his leg to get rid of you. There's no way that's going to happen. Jesus will never separate you from his body. He will never leave you abandoned. It also means that the resurrection of Christ is shared with you because your body was raised with Christ when he was raised. Colossians 2.12 having been buried with him in baptism. So again, this is, this is a beautiful picture because baptism is one of those ordinances of the church. There's, there's two uh, sacraments ordinances that, that Christ instituted for his church. And the first is baptism. And baptism is where you enter into God's covenant community. It's where, it's where the church says, you are God's and God belongs to you. Come into our fellowship, our community, our our love for each other. And so as, as, as adults who make professions of faith or people who make credible professions of faith um, are brought into the community, we, we baptize them, we immerse them in water. And, and what that symbolizes for us is like, you know, the, in the Noah, right? Noah, there was this huge flood, and it filled the earth. And so those were waters of judgment. And so in baptism, we, we dip you in judgment, right? We dip you in this water of judgment, which symbolizes to us the, the death of Christ on the cross. So, so what we're saying to you as we, we baptize you is, is that Jesus, Jesus died for all of your sins on the cross. Jesus died for all of them. And then as we raise you up, we say that that. That you, individual Christian who's dunked in this water, that as Jesus rose from the dead, your body was raised from the dead with Jesus on the third day. So in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And so in baptism we make this proclamation That you, Christian, are so united to God that when he died on the cross, he washed away all of your sins. And that when he rose from the dead three days later, you were raised with him in newness of life. And that as certainly as that happened, you know that it will certainly happen in the day when he returns. That your body will be caught up with him in the air. And that all the dead will rise, of which you are a member. The last one here is that you're gifted. That as a member of uh, the body of Christ, you have been given and entrusted with the Spirit of God. And with that Spirit comes special, unique, personal to you gifts to use in the body of Christ to build it up, to nourish it, to cherish it, to, to grow it. We see this in Ephesians 4, 4 through 8. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says when he ascended on high, he led host, He led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. And so we are called as a church to believe these things. These are gifts. These are benefits. These this is the outworking of our union with christ this is why union with christ matters these things we should trust them and live them and feel them and experience them in the world and and the way that we interact with the world around us is different because these things are true now i I hope that there are some among us who want who want these things who who upon hearing all the benefits that Christ offers to us, they say, how do I become part of that church? How do I become part of the body? How do I get knit into the body of Christ so inextricably that I can't be removed from it, that that Jesus is able to look out to me and say, there am I. How do we become united with him? And so here's the answer, and and I'm going to, going to plead with you. I'm going to plead with you. If, if you have any interest in, in this, in what Jesus offers you today, if, it, if it's meaningful to you, Jesus is offering himself to you right now. He, he, he is literally, through my words, right? He is literally saying, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He is saying right now for you to repent and believe the good news of what union with Christ is. And that is something that he is offering to you right now specifically. He is is saying that he climbed on the cross for your sins. He is saying that he bore the weight of your sins in his body on the cross. That the punishment that you deserve to pay he paid. He is saying that as he cried, it is finished from the cross, and gave up his spirit. He is saying that all of your guilt, and all of your shame, and all of the debt of your sin has been paid for. He is saying, I have finished it. I have made it complete. I have ended all of it, and I have done it for you. Jesus paid the price. Jesus was a perfect sacrifice. And the Lamb of God took away your sins. And he is offering you that forgiveness now. He is offering it to you now. And he is saying, come to me. Trust me. Believe in me. He's also saying that when he rose from the grave three days later and proved to the world that he was no liar... He could have said all these great things, right? Oh, I'm uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. He could have done all those great things healed the sick, uh, raised the dead, preached the good news. And if he was still in his grave, he was a fraud. He was a liar. He was somebody who we should not even give the time of day. But he did not stay dead. He rose from the dead, and he proved to the whole world that everything he said, all of the promise that he offers to you, everything that I have just said about him is 100% true. And there were 500 witnesses who, who took this message, and they went out and they spread this good news the whole world over. It is on every continent. It is among almost every people group. Right, It is everywhere proving that Jesus is king. And he's sealed for you. He's sealed for you if you put your trust in him, your own resurrection, and your own life with him forever, and your own delight in God for all of eternity. Do you believe this? Do you want this? Do you believe this today? That is how you get union with Christ, is you believe and you trust, and it's yours. It is yours. It is free. Take it. Take it. In Mark 1.15, Jesus Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. We've, We've talked about the gospel. We've talked about all that Christ has done for us. We've talked about how he identifies with us identifies with us, how he's bought us, how he's made us righteous, how he's done all these things on our behalf, and how he offers to that to us very, very freely. And now we're now we're gonna transition here and talk about law. Well, how do we respond to that message? How do we how do we how do we let that sing from our hearts and our lives? How, how, do, how does our heart of gratitude for all that Christ has done spill out from us? Where we're just We're just different now. Our lives have changed. How do we believe and repent? Repentance means that we we see that our lives are breaking God's law, and we turn our lives to obey God's law, because God's law is holy, God's law is perfect, God's law is good, and God's law is love. Jesus, when asked about the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and a second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So, how does this doctrine of union with Christ change the way we live? And so, we're switching from from the graciousness of God given to us to our gratitude and how we display that gratitude to the world around us. And I want to caution here because your ability or inability to do the things that I'm saying do not change the gospel. They do not change it one little bit, and so if what I'm about to say, uh, you you examine your life compared to that standard, and you say, "Hey, I don't me- I don't measure up. I just I just don't." The gospel, like like the the law, is up here, and I'm like down here, and you feel dejected, and you feel crushed, and you feel you feel like you can't do it. I want you to come back to the gospel. Come back to the gospel and say, Jesus, I can't. I can't. Save me, Jesus. But I also want the, all of us who, who aren't necessarily going to go there but can be full of gratitude to examine us, and I, and I want us to see that standard, and I want us to, to run to Jesus so that we can rise to meet that standard, so that we can be transformed by the truth, right? The truth will set you free. Transformed by the Spirit into the image of God. So Jesus obeyed the law perfectly. He obeyed it perfectly. I want to be like Jesus. I want to to love like he loves. I want to uh, have compassion like he had compassion. I want to serve like he served. I I want to lay down my life like Jesus laid down his life because Jesus is gloriously beautiful. Jesus is my master, and I want to be like him. And so as we look at the law, as we, look at, as we look at how gratitude should shape us, don't get lost in the trap of, of, of performance. If I have, to, I have to be a certain way for God to accept me, because that's not true. God has accepted you. He has saved you. You are united with Christ. And So how do we live in light of that unity? There, there are two, two ways that we're going to examine that today. The first is how do I use my body— how does, how does my, the use of my body reflect this gratitude that I have? And then the, the second is, how do I treat Christ's body? So uh, I just want to read Matthew 25, 31 through 40. And I think the application will be extremely self-evident. So, um, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, this is Matthew 25, 31, and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Don't you want to hear Jesus say that to you? Don't you want him to say to you as he sits on his glorious throne, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. If you do, if you do, if you want that, use your body to love the church. We know that Jesus' frame of reference here is the church because of the phrase, the least of these, my brothers. Jesus' list here is not exhaustive. Food, drink, shelter, clothing, and companionship. Companionship, that's five. Um, But it is a great start. It is a great start. And so how can you be using your body to be meeting the needs of this body, this local manifestation of, of Christ's body, the church? How can you be using your gifts, your talents, your skills, your abilities, your finances, your um, knowledge. How can you be using those to serve and to love Christ's body? If you have an answer, if you don't have an answer, but just have energy, if you, if you have any desire for it, bring it to the attention of your deacons. Go to your deacons, our servants, the the people who you have appointed to serve Christ and let them know what you have. Make yourself available to help as they become aware of a need so so that you can serve Christ, so that you can find Christ where he is and you can be there for him. Bring it to the attention of your community group. And be proactive in loving others well. Tell it to your elders so that we might nurture and grow your spirit-given spirit gift for the benefit of the body. Let us know. And another, another thing there too is if you have a need, if you have a need, share it. Share it so that you can, you can give the gift to a brother and sister in Christ so that they can serve Jesus in you. Don't hide it. Don't shy away from it. Don't be somebody who, who can just do it on their own. Come to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And share with us. And as we do, we will build up our body in love. As you do, we will serve Christ in each other. And Christ's name will be magnified. Christ's name will be made great. The world will see how much we love each other. And they will know. They will know that Jesus is King. So how can we benefit the body? And that's that's how I want to end. How do I how do I treat Christ's body? How do I how do I think about his body here on this earth? How do I I cherish it? If If the body of Christ is to be a focus of our service, what does that mean about how we should feel about it? How hot should our affections be for Christ's church and this particular manifestation of it? Should I be looking out at each of us in this room And should I be working day and night to to, to battle my own insecurities, to fight against my own temptations to be lazy, to, to, to put to death my will for myself so I could be like Jesus? So I could be like Jesus and look out at you guys and say, there am I. Let's pray. Lord, we we recognize that we are so needy. We are unable to do this work on our own. We are unable to give of ourselves as we ought. We are unable to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters and to love them. And so you are there because you are. And Lord, we, we so quickly get caught up in our lives. We so quickly get caught up in the things that, that, that matter to us. That we, we have forgotten. We have forgotten that you are among us. And Lord, if we feel that guilt, let us run to all these truths that you have given to us in the gospel. That we are righteous as you are righteous. That you are never far from us. That you are so intricately interwoven with us that all of our needs have become your needs and you intercede for us. That we have been bought with the price and that nothing can separate us from your love. Not even our inability to love as we ought. And so God, use your spirit though, Lord. Use your spirit to work in us. Spirit come and make us more like our Savior Jesus. Make us more like him in everything that we do. Let our love be manifest in this church, in this body. Help us to work and to strive and to put the death, the deeds of our own flesh so that your name can be hallowed here, so that your will can be done here, and that your kingdom can come here. Lord, we love you and we want to be like you and we want to draw others into your family too. We have hidden brothers and sisters out in this world who have not heard yet the good news of what you have done. And so, Lord, let us love here and let us love afar. Let us cast out your seeds in this world. And let us fight against the darkness. And let us strive it from your land. This is your territory, Lord. This is your ground. You are king of it all. And let us extend your kingdom day by day, moment by moment. Act of love upon act of love. You are all we have. You are our only hope. And we cast ourselves upon you, Lord. Amen. We're going to move into a